0: today, I trust that you will listen, and if there are questions and things like that, that later on we can maybe help you clarify them, or read these passages again for yourself. There are at least two places in Scripture where Paul himself speaks about this concept or the scenario of the weaker brother. Romans chapter 14, all the way to chapter 15, verse 13, Paul talks on this. Then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul again, to a different church, a very different church, he again unpacks this idea of the weaker brother. What Paul is uh, speaking to here, as I said, is often referred to as the weaker brother scenario. He takes these different situations and he unpacks them. He says, in this and this situation, here is what one person's faith allows them to do, and here is what another person's faith does not allow them to do. Now we don't want, you know, all the females in the building here today thinking, oh, this is just the sermon for men, because it's the concept of the weaker brother. So ladies, please know that it's totally for you as well, and I don't want you being, oh, good, I can now go and doze off, um, or get my phone out, and just whatever, but um, this is for all of us. And so I trust that as we unpack this today, that even though it's a complex, even though it's a, a complicated text to understand, that we will begin to understand what God wants of us. So I don't want to speak today as much on the scenario of the weaker brother. The situation necessarily. You're not going to hear me today list a whole bunch of situations and say, this is how this applies to each situation. And we could mention a number of different scenarios, even within our own um, setting today, that we would say one person's faith maybe allows them to do this, another person's maybe allows them to do this. So I don't want to do that, but just because I sense that in the first service, there was some confusion, so let me just give you one. One person's faith today, let's pick on the females, one female's faith today may say that you can go to church without wearing a dress. That it's fine, it is not said in scripture, it's not set in stone, that you have to wear a dress to church. Now another wo- person's faith, another woman's faith may say, no, when you go to church, you have to wear a skirt. As a matter of fact, you should always wear a skirt as a female. That is a little bit of what Paul is talking about. That's the scenario, that's one scenario, and we could mention many others, of what it may mean when we talk about the weaker and the stronger persons with faith. What I want to talk to us today is the concept, the idea or the notion of the weaker brother. What do we mean by this concept of the weaker brother? When we read about it in scripture, what is Paul talking about? So here's the definition that I came up for the concept of the weaker brother. It is this. Is when a stronger Christian is willing to not exercise his freedom in Christ in order to avoid being a stumbling block to a weaker Christian. It is basically this. When a stronger Christian is willing to abstain from something or not fully exercise their freedom in Christ in order to avoid being a stumbling block to a weaker Christian. So, let's unpack this and let's see what we can learn. First, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Paul starts this way. Accept him, accept him whose faith is is weak without passing judgment or on disputable matters. Now, if you're one of these people that likes circling things in your Bible or highlighting, this is a word you want to make sure you highlight. Disputable. We are not talking here about things that the Scriptures is completely clear on. Murder is not a disputable matter. Scripture is very, very clear, yes and no, what is right and what is wrong. So what Paul is talking about here are these disputable matters, where maybe Scripture isn't so clear on what it means or what exactly is is it saying. So he says, "Do not pass without passing judgment on on disputable matters." One man's now he starts outlining what he's talking about. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So there you go. If you're a vegetarian, by the way, you have weaker faith. It's right there. And you, we will pray for you. And hopefully one day you will see that you too can eat meat. It's okay. Verse 3. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul begins here and he says, the key thing I want you to understand around this whole subject, and maybe one of the key things we need to take away from here today, is stop judging each other. Stop pointing the finger. Stop condemning. Stop judging. Stop making judgment calls based on what you feel is right and what you feel is wrong. Verse 5, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Uh, I lost myself. Let me start over. One, man's, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul is making it clear here, it's not just a, 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 you know, a case of Preference. It's not just, you know, we're not just talking here about something that, you know, you have a preference about this or a preference about that. We must be fully convinced in our own minds. In 1 Corinthians he says it is a matter of conscience. And we'll unpack that a little bit later. Verse 6. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us, for none of us live to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether you live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, key little thing in this passage is this. To the Lord so we're not talking here about living our lives for ourselves. We're not talking here, well, I want to do this, and so, and you know, I don't care what those other people think, or, or I don't think we should do this, so I don't care what those other people think, or, you know, whatever. Paul is saying here, however you live your life, you need to live your life to the Lord. That is the first and foremost thing, is how you live is always to the Lord the things that you get involved in the things that you don't get involved in are the the reason for it is to the lord everything that you and i do the point the purpose is to be obedience and serve the lord verse 9 for this very reason christ died and returned to life so that we might be the lord we might be lord of both the dead and the living you then why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand before God's judgment, judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. Verse 12. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me just say this then to those who might say, Well, you know, then, uh, you know, I have an excuse for how I live. Paul is saying here, one day, every single, whether you are a weaker person, whether you are a stronger person, whether you have a deep, mature faith in Jesus, or whether you have a very new and immature and, and, and weak faith in Jesus. One day, every single person will stand before God and give an account on themselves. In other words, on that day, there will be no finger pointing. The weaker brother will never be able to stand before God and say, um, you know, the reason I did what I did is because this stronger Christian, they did it, and so I tried it too, and it didn't work out for, for me very well. So it's their fault. On that day, there will be no such thing as finger-pointing or blaming anybody else. On that day, we will stand before a holy, just God, completely righteous, and we will give an account every single one of us for our own actions see blaming others is a very common thing today blame is one of the things that i think many people focus on and learn how to do far better than take responsibility for their own actions i remember when i was a younger kid um i'm pretty sure it was my brother andy and he's the only one not here so i can pick on him um, he, uh, you know, he was in the room, and so I smacked him and just sent the poor kid flying. And and he, of course, big wimpy was. He went and cried, and you know, and told mom. And oh, blah, blah, you know. And mom walks in the room, and she is so fed up. And some of you parents can probably understand. And she just looked at me. And she says, "Why, Ike? Why?" I hadn't thought about that. You know, I, I I had no answer. And so I was like, um, what what should I say? And so here's what I came up with, and. And it sounded something like this. Well, he walked into the room. And that was all I came up with. He walked into the room and so, boom, down he went. And, and that was my only answer to the why. You see, Paul is saying here, you're not going to be able to stand before one day and say, here's why I did what I did. All God is going to want to know is, what did you do? What did you do? Let's unpack this further. Verse 13. 13. I think most of you have probably been tracking with me pretty well so far because, you know, you're looking like, okay, yeah, 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 I get this. Verse 13 is where he starts to really unpack this concept of the weaker brother. Therefore, he reminds them again, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Here's what we're supposed to do instead. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. I believe Paul is writing here to the, uh, to the stronger Christian. And because later on when he gives the examples of what he means, it definitely sounds like he's speaking to the stronger Christian. And he's saying to them, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in your brother's way. So here is something then that every mature or stronger Christian must wrestle with in consideration of this. How does my life affect people who are not mature Christians. What impact do my decisions have on those who are still weak in their faith? You see, when we hear this, the first thing we probably hear is saying, oh, so you're saying that we can no longer live our lives the way we want. It sounds like you're just telling us that we have to be restrained and we can no longer fully celebrate. And we can no longer fully serve God the way we want. I don't think that's what he's saying. As a matter of fact, I would say that's maybe a bit of a selfish way of looking at it. Here's what I think Paul is saying. Are we living our lives for the glory of God? Or are we living to get what we want? So I already know, because I know you guys quite well. Here's what some of you are going to do to either any one of us pastors... And you may come up, and, and these, are, these are good questions, you may come up and say, so does this mean now that I can no longer do this, this, or this, or, or that I should not take part in this, or this, or this? What, what does this mean for me in, in, these, in these situations? And here's my answer to that. I, I don't know. I don't know necessarily for every scenario. But here's what I do know. We need to wrestle with what is God asking us to do? How? What is God asking us to do in these situations? Because I think sometimes our thinking and our thought process is only, what do I want to do? And what's best for me in this situation? What do I feel that Scripture allows me to do? And we have not grasped this concept of the weaker brother. And we don't wrestle with it necessarily in saying, okay, so now does that would that also have an impact on someone who isn't a very strong Christian? Would that suddenly have a negative impact? Or would by me exercising my freedom in Christ, would I all of a sudden be putting a stumbling block out there for someone whose faith is not as strong as mine? The key question we must wrestle with is what is God asking us to do? Remember, the concept of the weaker brother is this, is when a strong Christian is willing to not exercise his freedom in Christ in order to avoid being a stumbling block to a weaker Christian. Let's keep unpacking this. Verse 14. As one, Paul writing, who is in the Lord, Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. In other words, Paul here saying, he's talking about you know, food sacrificed to idols. He's saying, okay, I know... As one who is in the Lord, I know that food is just food. But listen to what he says next. But if anyone regards something as unclean, for him, it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of your, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Well, let's just look at that for a little bit. First thing I think Paul is saying here is he acknowledges that as a strong believer, for himself, food is just food. Okay? There's, there's nothing else, it's just food. However, secondly, he also recognizes that if someone regards that food as unclean because maybe it's been sacrificed to idols or whatever, so that for that person, it is then unclean. Thirdly, if you, knowing that that person sees it that way, and if you then go and eat the food anyway, he says, you are no longer acting in love. And fourthly, maybe the harshest way, he says, do you... Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Now let me give you, let me give you a personal example of what this maybe looked, like, or maybe looked like in my life. And I don't say this to pass any judgment. So in case somebody are like, oh, all these years he finally wants revenge. No, not at all. When I became a Christian, one of the things I did is I got rid of all my secular music. Now, I'm not here today saying, oh, rock and roll music is bad. That's not me, okay? But at that point in my life, because of my, sp- my journey, the, the, the sort of the door that opened my adventure into a lot of sin was through Music. Okay, so I started listening to music that suggested this and suggested this, and, and I just kind of went along with it. And so when I became a Christian, I took all my tape decks and my CDs. And some of you are going, tape decks? What are tape decks? Um, you really should be learning this in school because it was so important. Walkmans? Anybody? Okay, never mind. Now you're looking very, very confused at the moment. So I took all my tape decks and all my CDs and I destroyed them All. So why? Because for me at that moment, my faith, because of my past experience, it said this, if you are a Christian, you cannot listen to secular music. If you are a Christian, you cannot listen to the stuff that had taken me on this incredible journey of sin. And so I was fully convinced in my heart that as a Christian, you have to get rid of all secular music that I owned and I did. Now, This is where I don't want anybody thinking I'm passing judgment on them, because those people are in this room. I remember hanging out, you know, and the youth at that time, they tried so hard. They wanted to involve me, wanted to involve me. And there were some key people here, and I haven't asked them for permission to use their names, but there were some key people in this church who took a strong interest in me because they wanted to incorporate me into the church circle. Because I had not attended church for five years or so, not at least not regularly. So they made every effort to incorporate me in, and so they, you know, I remember one time being in a car and we're driving down the street and and we're listening to music, Christian music, and I didn't know any of them because I was, you know, I didn't know any Christian music. And There was a band by the name of Bloodgood. Interesting, you know, they got Striper and you know, all these other bands, and I, I, okay, good, you know, sounded nice. It sounded very much like what I used to listen to, and they're all singing along at the top of their lungs, and I'm kind of sitting there going. I don't know any of these songs, but, you know, it's Christian, so I will learn them. And then, you know, what they had done is they taken a tape deck and, and they, you know, you, you had another tape deck here and you press record and you press play and you record it onto it. Now you just drop them, you know, all that stuff. Anyway. And so they had made this tape of all their favorite songs. And all of a sudden, sure enough, there's a song on this tape that they had put together as good Christian people. It was by the band Warrant and it was a song called Down Boys. This was not a Christian song. And I'm sitting in the back of this car and it just, my stomach, like it turned. And I remember thinking, how can these Christian guys listen to secular music? These guys aren't Christian. And so I I wrestled with it deeply because my journey said the only music you could listen to was Christian music. Folks, that is the concept of the weaker brother. That is what Paul is writing about here. Saying, some of you know that listening to one song that's not Christian isn't going to ruin your life because your faith is strong enough. But for the other person, no, it, it is not strong enough. And so his concept, the concept here is saying, would you then, as the stronger Christian, not listen to it for that person's sake? Would you as a stronger person not eat the meat for that person's sake? Would you as a stronger person not condemn them for holding a certain day sacred? That is the concept of the weaker brother. Let's continue reading a little bit. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that would cause your brother to fall. There's more and you guys can read the rest of it, but I want you to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because there Paul speaks on this, but maybe in a little bit of a different way. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In the first six verses, Paul is kind of restating the argument that the Corinthians had. The people in that church, and he's saying, okay, I understand your argument. <clears throat> the, the argument basically was this. There is only one God. And so any food sacrifice, <coughs> excuse me, any food sacrifice to another God doesn't matter because it's not a God. There's only one God, so that food that's sacrificed to a different God is just fine because that food has been sacrificed to a God that's non-existent. We recognize there's only one God, and so food cannot be defiled by being sacrificed to a God that doesn't exist. So that's that's the Corinthian that's the Corinthians argument. So Paul, you know, he he restates that in verse seven. He though he picks up on that and he pushes back on that a little bit. He says this, verse seven, chapter eight, verse seven. But not everyone knows this. For some people, some people are still so accustomed to idols, that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. In other words, because of their conscience, that food now is, is defiled. That food is literally Wrong. But food, Paul goes back to verse, in verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do eat. But then he continues on verse 9. Be careful, however, the, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who has this knowledge eating in an te- idle temple, won't he be embodiment to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ has died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way, you wound their weak conscience. <coughs> you sin So, in this way, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will not eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Very interesting thing that Paul says here. He's saying, okay, we recognize, <clears throat> we recognize that these people don't have a, all the information we have. However, we must be careful that we do not exercise, that we do not use our freedom to cause another person to sin. And then he says this kind of at the end, verse 13, he's basically saying now, okay, so, what I'm going to do, I am going to make sure, what's more important to me is that I don't cause someone to stumble, so what I'm going to do is, I will literally stop eating meat, if that means it will help somebody not stumble in their faith. I think what we need to do now though, is we need to put a few parameters around this thing. Because what this sounds like if you're not, if you're not hearing it correctly is that the weaker brother now determines what the stronger brother does. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Paul is teaching us here. I want you to be aware. I want you to keep the weaker brother in mind. I want you to, to make decisions. And if you know somebody wrestles with this, if you know somebody is going to have a major issue with this, why? Because it's an issue of conscience. I want you to keep them in mind. I don't want you to do something in order that will cause to be a stumbling block for that person. So let me just put three quick parameters around this thing. The first question, or the first parameter is this. Who is the weaker brother? We need, to, we need to know that. Who is the weaker brother? So if we're going to do stuff to not be a stumbling block for the weaker brother, who is this person? I believe Paul is talking here about new Christians. Both in, in 1 Corinthians and, and uh, Romans. I believe the, the people Paul is talking to here are these Jewish people who have just become believers. And so they have all their Jewish customs. They have all the stuff in their background that is there. And Paul is saying, be careful now. And you, you read about this also in the book of Acts where they where they talk about circumcision. This was one of those issues that for a lot of Jewish people, this had to be done. And it, and it was a disputable issue and so they had to you know, come up with a, what is required by Scripture and what isn't. So the first thing we need to know is who is the weaker brother? So I believe the weaker brother is a newer, a newer believer. There is a big difference between a weaker brother and a stubborn brother. Okay? A weaker brother is willing to learn and is making an attempt to learn, where a stubborn brother is set in his or her way and, can, and has put personal preferences over biblical truth. In other words, you can bump into someone who is just stubborn. They just say, well, this is the way it is and that's how it's always going to be. And they don't have scriptural basis for it. This is how we've always done it and we're not changing anything. That is not a weaker brother. A weaker brother is someone who is new in the faith and who is wrestling to understand. And for that person, we need to be careful that we do not put a stumbling block in their way. The second little parameter that we need to have in mind is the weaker brother must be taught. Okay? We do not want it to sound... I don't want it to sound like today that I'm saying that we enable the weaker brother to stay where he is. We're not going to tiptoe around issues so that the weaker brother's faith is never challenged. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he says, indeed, you are still not ready. What is Paul saying here? He says, I knew you weren't ready for solid food, so I gave you milk. But clearly Paul is implying here, but I wish you were ready. As a matter of fact, it almost sounds like he's saying, when I come back, I hope you are, because at some point, I want you to receive solid food. I don't want you to always live off of milk. The Great Commission commands us to teach. We must be willing to teach the the weaker brother, and the weaker brother must be willing to learn. The third um, parameter that we need to look at is, this must be an issue of conscience. This cannot simply be a tradition or a preference that the person is holding on to. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 10 says, Paul says, anyone with a weak conscience. In other words, this is an issue of conscience. For this person, this is literally an issue of right and wrong. So we want to be careful to understand this. That We're not talking here now just... As stronger Christians, that we have to live our lives how you know only to please the weaker brother. No, we live our lives to please, please the Lord. So, having said this, though, I do not want to downplay the role that the stronger brother plays in the weaker brother's uh, uh, life. I trust that each one of us will consider today how we may spur one another on, as it says in Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-four. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke here and I said that God. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that you are not your own. This concept goes right along with that. That God has not saved us from our sins so that we can live our lives just for ourselves. We must do all that we can to live our lives daily to please the Lord. But I want us to re- be reminded today that our responsibility is also to the people who are around us, to those people who that God has, you know, um, led to a certain place in their life and that we need to consider how we may spur that person on and encourage them in their faith. Alright, the last passage that we want to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, we're going to fly through this one real quick and then we are out of here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This passage is called the love chapter. Yeah, the love chapter. This is the most wedding nice passage, I think, in all of the Scriptures. You, If you've ever gone to a wedding, I guarantee you, you have heard a poor preacher have to preach a sermon from this passage again, and every couple's like, eh, um, oh, do you, I want to use the love, you know, First Corinthians chapter 13, and us poor pastors are going, oh no, I don't know what else to pull out of that. But anyway, um, it's, it's a good chapter. Some of you that are getting married, hint, hint, I don't really want to preach from this again at your wedding, so... That's why I'm saying this publicly. <clears throat> I think other pastors would second that. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. My guess is that this thing has been so weddingized that many of us here today probably have this image in mind that Paul sat down across the table from a young married couple and said, here's what love is. And when Paul wrote this, that he was actually thinking of a husband and wife. So it may be a bit of a surprise to you today when you find out, no, this was written to the church. This was written to all of us. This is how I'm supposed to love each one of you. And this is how you are supposed to love me in return. So let's read this real quick and <coughs> let's see what it says. Some of you can quote it off by heart. It says this, verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men and, do not, and of angels, but do not love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, have the, uh, and I have faith that can move a mountain, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying here? That if your life is not motivated by love, it's, it's pointless. You can do all the good you want. You can do all the great things you can want. But if it's not motivated by love, it's not worth anything. What did did Jesus say to the church in Ephesus in Revelations? He says, You're doing everything right, but I hold one thing against you. You've forsaken your first love. And then he tells them, repent. Now here's the part you probably all know by heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. That little line there, man, I think that would have saved a lot of church fights if people would have used that one. It keeps no records of wrong. Not too long ago, I had a person come in here and they said, do you know this and this person? I said, well, I know them a little bit. Do you know what they're like? Well, oh, I just told you I only know them a little bit. He says, well, I know them from Mexico. No bad things have happened in Mexico, I think. And I said, oh, well, when? Oh, back when we were in school. So my assumption was, if you're talking about a colony school, that means under the age of 13. Guess how old these people were now? In their 60s. But here was a person who still was holding on to something that had been done way back then. Love keeps no records of wrong. Boy, that's an important one for the church. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. In other words, all the other good things are going to pass away. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will fade out, pass away. For we, now, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. <coughs> when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. I think Paul is saying to the church here, there comes a point in your life, there comes a moment in your life where you need to grow up. Back when you were a young church, you reasoned like a child, you thought like a child, you did, all, but now you're a mature church. Grow up. Maybe not, that's just what I take out of it. Verse 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The band can come up. I'm going to wrap up here. But I want to give you a challenge to go home with today. This concept of the weaker brother is, is difficult to understand. But I want to challenge you today as you go from here and as we mingle amongst each other, would you consider today what impact does your life have on those people who are brand new Christians? What impact does your life have on those who are still very young in the faith? And if you have stronger faith, do not judge those. Do not point the finger to those. Do not run those people down whose faith still does not allow them to do some of the things that you feel free to do in Christ. But remember, everything is done to the Lord. The second thing I want us to wrestle with today... How do we love each other? Are we willing to forgive? Are we willing to <clears throat> work past or look past some of our differences? The weaker brother. Maybe you're brand new in the faith and you don't understand some of the stuff that we do in church sometimes. And you look at it and you say, wow, I, I, this, from where I come from, this isn't right. This isn't the way it should be done. I want to challenge you if you're new in the faith, don't pass judgment, don't condemn. Yeah, you need to be taught, and, and maybe you can teach us something, but the key thing that Paul is saying here in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is make sure that you exercise love in everything that you do. So I think this morning there's a strong challenge for those of us or those people who feel that they have a stronger faith, and those who are maybe still weak in their faith. They're new, and, and there's so much that, you, that we don't understand. Let us work together to the Lord to build up the name of Jesus. I've got to wrap up. Let's pray quick. Father God, I pray that you use these words this morning to minister to us. Father, there's so much more that can be said on this text and there's so much maybe that's not even clear. But here's what we do know, Jesus. You have called us to be the church. So I pray that we do it with deep conviction. And I pray that we do it with a motivation of love. And I pray that we work together with one another. Those of us that maybe have a a deeper understanding of things, that we would be willing to to back off on those things and teach, and not just to exercise our rights and cause them others to stumble. I pray for those who are maybe new to the faith and who wrestle to understand things. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't feel that they have to fast forward. But I pray, Lord, that they would continue to seek and to strive, but to do so without condemning and without passing judgment. Father, may we be a church where love is the, the greatest thing that, that we have for one another because we know, Lord, that it was love that motivated you to come and give your life for us to help us in this in Jesus name, I pray. amen I want you to stand with us and we'll sing one last song.